Well, good morning, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving, and welcome to Bite House Bible Church. Let's begin today by praying together. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your righteousness and love and justice, that you are all-powerful and all-loving. And Father, today we also want to thank you for all our blessings. We want to thank you most of all for the indescribable gift of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to thank you for eternal life and for giving us in our account the perfect righteousness of yourself. And Father, we also want to thank you for all the temporal blessings. During our time here, you take such good care of us. We want to thank you for all of those that sometimes we take for granted. And we want to pray this morning, especially for those who are in lack and need and suffering. And we just ask, Father, as we know you will, to provide and comfort those. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Please stand and worship with us. Pretty soon, Hannah's going to need another arm. (laughs) Good morning again, everybody. Once again, happy Thanksgiving to all of you. I hope and pray that you have a, a great Thanksgiving on Thursday, and hopefully the Lord will provide, and also that he'll bring loved ones into your life. I know that's sometimes a difficult time of year for people when that's not happening. So uh, we especially want to keep you all in prayer, but also to enjoy everything that will be going on, both the meal and the fellowship and, and the football watching, for those of us who appreciate that. Again, this morning we are... Uh, featuring this, focusing on, praying about uh, this missionary organization, Grace Bible Church Pakistan. And uh, every year, as as many of you know, they have Christmas care packages that they provide to their young people, both locally in their academy and also throughout the surrounding villages. If you wish to be a part of that, remember, write your check to GBC Pakistan. And if you want to send it to the older kids, you can write student package. If you want to send it to the kids in the village, you can write village, villages, you can write village package, or you can write nothing at all, and they'll just use it to where they have the need. Um, but remember, the deadline for donations is December 1st. Now, I know we've been conditioned to think that's a long way off. That's next Sunday. So please uh, make sure you, if you're going to, yes. Uh, that's a great question. I don't know the answer, but I would say us. Because the way that works is that they, uh, they, they, they buy everything, and then they rely on the Lord to provide the finances. And I know they're, li- they're a bit short. I got a, a newsletter yesterday from them. They're about $2,500 short. So, you know, but I would encourage everybody today, you know, to put, put that in and if you haven't yet so that we can get that over to them. We have Bibles. If anybody needs one, we're gonna about to go into the preaching of the word this morning. And... Uh, Raise your hand if you need one, and if not, we will get started. The title of today's message is The Grateful Life. The Grateful Life. And uh, again, I want to greet everybody with a happy Thanksgiving. It's the time when we especially give thanks to the Lord for all our blessings, for all that he's done for us. But first, I want to spend a little time in the book of Daniel. If you turn now to Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. The grateful life is a life where our hearts are full. No matter what we're going through, we can sum up that gratitude and think about the things that are right 
Think about the blessings and the gifts that he's given us. And there's nobody who illustrates that better than Daniel here in chapter 6. Daniel gave thanks to the Lord in the most unlikely of situations. I'm going to preach a little bit and then we'll get to the passage. I want to to build up to it a little bit. Also, I don't want to have to have you read the whole chapter, so I'm going to give you information about what you won't be reading. Okay? So Daniel was really high up in the in the government of King Darius. Okay, King Darius. The Jews were in exile at the time. They had been taken away from the promised land and to a foreign country, military militarily conquered. So that means that Daniel was was a foreigner in King Darius's kingdom. Despite that, the king appointed him to the three-man commission who ran the whole kingdom for Darius. He had three men under him that ran all the, all the, there were 120 princes, or as they called them, satraps. All of them reported to the commission. And the commission reported to Darius. He was one of the three that were, men that were on that commission. What's more, Daniel had so distinguished himself that Darius, seeing the virtues, seeing how well he can run things, he was planning to appoint him over his entire kingdom. As you can imagine, you think about the rest of those men. You know, probably most, if not all of them, were not foreigners. Right? They were born into the kingdom. And so you can imagine that when they heard rumors of Darius planning to appoint Daniel over the entire kingdom... It aroused the jealousy of these other powerful men in the government. So they tried, they were going to try to find grounds of accusing him of misusing his office. Does that sound familiar to anyone, by the way? Um, but they couldn't find anything, you know? Why? He was faithful always, never neglected his duties, what, nothing corrupt about him at all. But they thought about something else. They realized that there was one way to get to him, ultimately. It didn't have to do with how he's governing. It had to do with his God and the law of his God. You see, what they did was they, they, they convinced the king, convinced the king to establish a statute, and they were so cunning in, about this, to the point where Daniel would have to choose between obeying his God and obeying the king's statute. He didn't want to do, he wanted to do both. But they found a way to make it impossible for him to honor his king and honor his Lord, his God. So they got together and they went to Darius and they put out the statue for him. And they said, listen, what we want to do is we want you to to establish a statute and then enforce it. And here was the statute. Anyone who makes a petition, a prayer to any God or man besides you, O king, they're buttering him up, for 30 days shall be cast into the lion's den. Shall be cast into the lion's den. Let's read the passage. Daniel 6.10. Now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, this is very important. He knew, think about this, he knew that there was a petition that was signed by the king, and it said that if anyone makes a petition to any god or man besides the king, King Darius, they will be cast into the lion's den. So he knew what was about to happen to him. He knew when the document was signed. What did he do? He freaked out and complained and blamed God for his ill fortune. No. He entered his house. Now in his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem. Now remember, he's in, he's in Babylon. But his windows opened you know, west towards Jerusalem. And he continued, he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day 
praying and giving thanks before his God, just as he had been doing previously. Then these men came by agreement. They knew when he prayed and they came upon him and they found Daniel making petition and supplication before his God. They rushed to the king to tell him what had done, been done and remind him that he had put an irrevocable statue. And they, they said, King, Daniel, who was one of the exiles from Judah, he's a foreigner, pays no attention to you, O king. What are the injunction which you signed? He's flouting your law, but he keeps making his petition to his God three times a day. Look at verse 16. What happened? Then the king gave orders, and Daniel was brought in and cast into the lion's den. The king spoke, and he said to Daniel, Your your God, whom you constantly serve, will himself deliver you. Interesting. So at this point in time, he had gone along with 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 the statute that was recommended by the other powerful men in the government that were under him. At the same time, he loved Daniel. And he was beginning to see that what made the God that Daniel worshipped unique and wonderful. So at the same time he had to enforce his statute, he also said, he, your God whom you constantly serve, will himself deliver you. See the faith? The faith of Darius now, not just the faith of Daniel. Well, a stone was brought and laid over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet rings of his nobles so that nothing could be changed. He was... He was sealing it all up. It's done in regard to Daniel. Then the king went off to his palace. Notice what he did, though. He spent the night fasting. He had observed this behavior in Daniel and and other men uh, of Israel. And he did it himself. He spent the night fasting and no entertainment was brought before him. By the way, it was good to be the king. Every night you'd have a big, sumptuous meal. And then... He would, people would come and entertain him all night long. God only knows what that entertainment consisted of. But that was what he was used to doing. He didn't do that the night before Daniel was to go into the lion's den. He spent the night fasting. No entertainment was brought before him. And his sleep fed, fled from him. Verse 19. Then the king arose at dawn, at the break of day, and he went in haste to the lion's den. When he had come near the den to Daniel, he cried out with a troubled voice. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you constantly serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? And then Daniel spoke to the king, Oh, king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, inasmuch as I was found innocent before him. And also toward you, O king, I have committed no crime. And the king was very pleased and gave orders for Daniel to be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatever was found on him because he had trusted in his God. King Darius had signed an an injunction that he could never revoke. Anyone who makes a petition to any God or man besides you, O king, for 30 days shall be cast into the lion's den. In other words, Daniel knew that the penalty for disobeying the injunction was death in the lion's den. So what did he do? Did he freak out? Did he try to fight it? Did he run away? Did he try to have a rebellion in the kingdom? He was very powerful. He probably could get away with that. He did none of those things. What did he do? Well, 
He did one thing he did not one thing he did not do was stop praying to the living God three times a day. He says, I must obey God rather than men. And that's for certainty. We saw it. He dropped to his knees, as he always did, and he gave the Lord thanks, like he always did. And he was thrown into the lion's den anyway. Well, you see, our Lord is not our get-out-of-jail-free card to avoid suffering. A lot of people expect that. They expect the idea is, well, I'm a Christian, I'm his child, so I'm going to petition him and the suffering's going to go away. Or he's going to remove it automatically. Well, that's not true. We see time and time again that the saints have to go through suffering, tribulation, adversity, affliction. Indeed, Paul would say this is, this is absolutely vital to your growth. You know, part of being a son is growing up, and part of growing up is discipline. And there are times when the Lord leaves us in these precarious places, lion's dens, fiery furnaces, for a purpose. He allows it to continue for a time. And he doesn't slay the lions. Notice, God, if he wanted to, could have just wiped the lions out. He didn't do that. All right? All he did was protect Daniel in there anyway. He doesn't shut down furnaces either when, when when the people are facing it. He leaves it there. What does he do instead? He protects us when we suffer. You see, if we didn't go through things, we wouldn't have the experience of God protecting us in those things and delivering us, sometimes out, but often through the suffering. Through it. As you're suffering, you're finding deliverance in your heart. And maybe in your circumstances as well. The Lord loves you. He also knows that we have to go through these things. You know, anyone who lives the spiritual life will be persecuted in some way. And that's a, that's, that's a statement of fact. He knows these things. But he protects us as we're suffering and delivers us through the suffering. As we're suffering, we see deliverance. And then he comforts us with his rod and his staff. You see, just like Daniel, we have our own times when we face our own lion's den. You know, it's a problem that's, that seems too big and too powerful for us. And it threatens to devour us, we think. We suffer. We suffer various ways at various times. Maybe it's a physical pain. Maybe it's the breakup of a marriage. Maybe it's unemployment. Whatever it is, we go through the lion's den. And we go through the, the fiery furnace at times. And so we need to look to Daniel to try to understand what should we do. But the point today is... You know, since we're thinking about thanksgiving and gratitude, we have to first realize something. When we're suffering, it can be awfully hard to be grateful. Awfully hard to be grateful. We somehow find it easier, although we forget our blessings also. But it's easy to thank God for the blessings, right? It's harder to thank God when we're suffering. Suffering wears us out. It stimulates raw, negative emotions in our flesh. He, suffering also affects our thinking. Not only our emotions, but our very thinking. We, if we don't watch out, we'll become preoccupied with it, the suffering. It's always on our mind. And then we start to think the worst. And then we start to think this is unfair. And then we start to resent people who aren't going through what we're going through. Well, thankfully, God has given us the tools to combat all this negativity. Those tools are found in his word. And the spirit who dwells in our hearts 
will show us how to use these tools as we absorb and hear the Word of God. What's the objective of those tools? Well, we've already seen not to take us out of the, of the suffering and, and, and not to like, allow, get rid of the emotions because emotions, you know where the emotions come from? The flesh, the bad ones anyway. Yeah, all right? So he's not, he's not going to give us the tools because they're always going to be there. No, there's one thing that he is an objective when we're going through these things. He's going to change our thinking about them. A lot of people all the time ask me about, well, what do I do when, I'm, when I have pain? And the fact is that there's no uh, you know, magic bullet in the Word of God that's going to take it away. All right? But what there is, is the power by the Spirit and the Word of God to change how we think about it. And that makes all the difference to renew our minds. Please turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Ephesians 4, 17. You see, as Thanksgiving approaches, we have a tendency to think that everybody's going to jump into a Norman Rockwell painting. That is not reality. I mean, even the best of, closest of families, it's not reality. But for many of us, it's the opposite of a Norman Rockwell painting. We're going through things that are, that are ripping us apart, perhaps. We're seeing friends die. We're seeing children move away and they're not with us anymore for Thanksgiving. We're seeing that the finances can be tight and we can't do what we'd like to do for Thanksgiving and for our family. It's, it's, everybody has to understand that there's some people here today that are going through things that are going to make it awfully difficult for them to give thanks this Thursday. But the Word of God is where we turn for the ability to do exactly that. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk. You know, when the Gentiles were in pain and and suffering, they would do whatever they could to get rid of it. They would be angry. They would be miserable. The unbelievers. Why? Because they don't have the solution. They don't understand that their thinking is ultimately the most important factor when you're going through suffering. But their mind was futile. They didn't have it. They were darkened in their understanding. They didn't understand the things of God. And therefore they were excluded from the life of God. That's, that's horrible to be excluded from the life of God. Now the fact is that they decide to do it themselves. But even so, it's a horrible thing to be excluded from the life of God. To not have the hope that you will be with the Lord Jesus face to face. Instead, to have some at least vague understanding that there is a judgment out there. But the problem is, is that they're ignorant of all the things of God. The ignorance is in them. And their heart is already hardened. You know, that's the problem with suffering. People go two ways. They either go through it, and they're, they're built up and established and strengthened as they go through it. And then at the end, they're giving thanks to the Lord, and they're full of life. Or there's another path that many people take instead. You know, like when Job was going through all his suffering. And he didn't claim a murmur a bit, but when he went home, his wife said, you know what you ought to do? You ought to curse God and die. That was really building him up that day, right? But that's the other path. The other path is to bemoan, to become preoccupied, to tell everybody about it, and and just to get yourself miserable about it. And it's got to be taken away, Lord, and you're not taking it away, and I'm angry with you. Two paths, and they're diametrically opposed. 
You see, they became hard in their heart for many reasons, but suffering can do it. 19, and they having become callous, you know, callous is over your skin, not sensitive anymore. You know, the, you, you can't feel things. Having become callous, having given themselves over, they did it to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. <clears throat> and let me say this, that kind of behavior is obvious to everybody. You know, when we think about sins, we think about sins the way the Gentiles sin. You know what I'm saying? Greed, sensuality, and so forth. The most difficult person to have come around to the gospel and then the thinking of the Lord, though, is not the Gentile. It's somebody who's self-righteous. It's somebody who clings to his religious things, and therefore he's not, or she, not open at all to God's solution. But you did not learn Christ in this way. Now he turns from the describing of the Gentiles to them teaching the believers, the saints, the body of Christ. You didn't learn Christ in this way. In other words, everything about Christ is the opposite of how the unbeliever, how the flesh reacts to things in life. You didn't learn Christ in that way. If indeed you have heard him, there are a lot of people, the word of God is preached. Their ears work fine, but they don't hear and they don't understand. If indeed, and he's saying, I'm confident that you have heard him and have been taught in him. Notice, just as the truth is in Jesus. And that's the thing we have to keep in mind when we're going through suffering and difficulty. The truth that we need is in Christ, and we're in Christ. And so, you know, we're set up perfectly. Just remember that. But it's the truth that makes us free. That in reference to your former manner of life, you see, a lot of us grew up, and we watched other people going through suffering, and maybe they didn't do it very well. We all have problems with it. But maybe they didn't have faith. And we watched how that just ate them up and spit them out. And we look at that and they freaked out and they cried and all these things that happened. And I'm not saying, that I'm not casting aspersions on if that's you. It's okay. It's okay. But understand there's a solution. But if you grew up without the solution and you have a certain way that you think, your flesh anyway, thinks you ought to behave and ought to react when you're going through suffering and pain and difficulties... Well, then it's awfully hard because the, until you see that the truth is in Jesus, you won't be able to see that your former manner of life, like, like the old man, is crucified with Christ. And you died to it. And that's a fact. We just, just our, our understanding has to come around to those things that are facts. He said, in reference to your former manner of life, what? You lay aside the old man. I know it says self in the... Uh, in the, new, in the NASD and some other translations. But it's a terrible translation. You lay aside the old man. Why do I say it's a terrible translation? Because it's not about individuals. It's about that one man, Adam. <laughs> and the fact that he was our old man. And we grew up about being like our old man. Right? A lot of kids want to be like their dad. Well, we grew, we grew up wanting to be like Adam, like the old man. But the old man has been crucified on the cross. Now that we're believers. That means we can have, lay it aside. All those things, all those negative emotions, all those bad habits, all of that bad thinking, we can just lay it aside. We can. We have the power to do so. But then notice what's really important. It's being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. You have to understand that there's nothing good there. That there's a path you can go down when you're suffering. Nothing good is going to come out of it. Why? Because you're being dominated by the flesh. You don't have to be now. Uh, but you do, and then it takes you, and it, he itself is being corrupted, and he wants to corrupt you. He wants to have you fall into your lustful patterns. It happens a lot of times 
When people go through suffering, they revert to their bad habits. I've got to comfort myself somehow. Well, when I was an unbeliever, this is what I did. I'm going to go do it again. No, right? It says, that's the flesh. That'll take you down a dead-end street in a heartbeat. What do you do instead? Notice what you do. That you be renewed in your spiritual mind. The mind of Christ. The mind of the Spirit. Be renewed. Go to that overflowing of truth and, and the Holy Spirit comforting us and showing us how to deal with things. That's the key. You know, I observe, I observe folks, they're here for a while and then they go away and sometimes we never see them again. And I pray that they found another place where they can hear the Word of God and keep it. See, it's vital. We I know you're like, yeah, well, that's your due. That's your calling, man. We're expecting you to say that. We're expecting you to say, oh, the Bible's important. Oh, truth is important. Yeah, you should expect me to say it. But what you should also do is hear and practice and learn. Because that's the solution, the thinking of Jesus Christ. And then, in verse 24, you put on the new man. And you see, we've been created. We're a new creation. Put it on. We're in Christ. Put it on. What does putting it on mean? Well, it means that you are, you are, when you put clothing on, and this is the, the Greek was really talking about clothing. Well, you know, when you put on clothing, what are you doing? You're ready to go somewhere. You're ready to walk by means of the Spirit. You see, we put on the new man. That's my identity now. My identity is Christ. I am in Him. I am, I am been declared righteous by His Father. I've been adopted. I'm an adopted son or daughter of the living God. That's putting on the new man. For whatever reason, we always have to remind ourselves. Kind of like we have to put on clothes every day. We have to keep reminding ourselves who we are. Reminding ourselves that he's there and he'll never leave us or forsake us. That when you wake up in the morning, it's an awfully good habit. So the first thing you do is go to the word of God and go to a place that's going to build you up first thing in the morning. Go to a promise that he's given to you. Go to a fact, say in the book of Romans or in the book of Ephesians, that's absolutely true about you. And root and ground yourself in that. And you'll find out that you have the power to overcome the thinking, the negative thinking, the negative emotions. Be renewed in your spiritual mind and put on the new man. Now, what's the difference between the new man and the old man? The old man, right, the flesh, he is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. Down, 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 down. What about the new man? In the likeness of God. Once again, humans walking the planet in the likeness of God has been created. There's something new, a person new, a new you that's been created, brand new at the moment you believe in Christ. And you've been, that's, that new you has been created in righteousness. Going up, up, up. The holiness of the truth. And you, have, you, can, you can either ignore that or live by it. You either don't lay aside the old man or you do. You either get renewed in your thinking or you don't. You either lay aside, put on the new man, or you don't. But, but mark it down. Our old man is miserable. He's bitter. He's angry all the time. And ultimately, he's depressed. What does he want to do? Well, he wants to use the agent of the flesh to take us over so that we become like him again. Miserable, bitter, angry, depressed. And let me tell you something else, something else about our flesh. It always thinks the worst. It hopes no things. It has no faith and no love. 
And, and when we go like that, then we're in a place where we can't draw on any of that either. But mark it down, the flesh is our enemy. Get that crystal clear. Okay? Unfortunately, I have news if you don't know this already, but you have an enemy dwelling in the members of your body. And it'll be there till the day you die. And it's got its own pull, pulling us in a certain direction. However, greater is he, the Holy Spirit, Christ, who's in you. <laughs> Much more power. The power of the spirit of love in Christ Jesus has already set you free from the power of sin and death. But we need to remind ourselves of that over and over and over again. The old man is a coward. All he wants is for the pain to stop so he can continue along his corrupt ways. Until then, he's going to be bitter, miserable, angry, and depressed. He has absolutely zero capacity to endure. See, and I'm describing, you know, the old man, the flesh, but you know who else I'm describing? The guy who started it all, Satan. Keep that in mind. He's a coward. All he wants to do is get out of what he knows, like Daniel. He knows what his judgment's going to be. All he wants to do is get out of that somehow, some way. And he has no capacity for enduring anything. Uh, remember, you know, Satan came from a place where all the angels were perfect and, uh, and, and wonderful. They had access to the heavens. And he, had, he never suffered any pain in that situation. And as a matter of fact, even now, okay, he's still an angel. So he doesn't understand perseverance. He doesn't understand the value of it. He doesn't want to be able to persevere in suffering. But the new man will. The new man knows this. God is for us, not against us. God loves us. He has freely given us Christ and all that he means to us. We are a new creation. And that old man, a new man rather, was created in righteousness and in the holy truth. In other words, God has given us reasons to believe the best. This is what we need when we're going through suffering and pain and agony and affliction. We need a reason to believe. God has given that to us. So many reasons to believe. So many times he's come through for us in the past. Thinking about when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he made us alive. He gave us Christ. There would be no hope without Christ. He's given us Christ. So we have reasons to believe the best and to hope boldly. That's what God wants you to do. He wants you to grab a hold of the promise and be bold about declaring in your heart and to others that you're, you're bound for this. You're getting this. You're getting the inheritance in the future. You're getting a resurrection body. God has given us in his word reasons to hope boldly and then to love greatly. You see? And that's God's path for us. Believe, hope, and love. Okay. He's given us all the tools to do that. These reasons are all explained in God's word. And let me tell you something else. This may not seem compassionate, but trust me, this is very compassionate. Because the key is to understand that we, unfortunately, can become preoccupied with our pain and our problems. And that's not going to do us any good at all. It never does. As a matter of fact, when we do that, whether we realize it or not, we're walking with the flesh. <laughs> that's what we're doing. We're, you've got to be careful when you allow the, 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 the lust of the flesh in the form of wanting to avoid pain um, get the better of us because he's going to lead us down that other path. We don't want to go there. 
That path leads to nothing good. Mark it down. But, hey, and I go through this, you know, I have certain things in my life that aren't quite right and I have to deal with. And I'll tell you what, though, when I focus on them and concentrate on them, they get worse. Do you ever notice that? When you have pain, you know, during the day when you're occupied, hopefully, with the things of the Lord, you know, you're part of the pain, yeah, okay, but I, I'm concentrating on something else. But at night, when you go into bed and you have nothing else there, that's when you feel the pain more. And so that's, that's an indication that we don't have to. But if we do, please understand, if, that's, if we're totally preoccupied with that, if we tell everybody all the time about what we're going through, as if they weren't going through anything. You know, I'm guilty. We're all guilty of this. I mean, this is not meant to judge anybody or any situation. And it really, it's talking about us here. You see, when we do that, that leads to nothing good for us. Believe me, people have the capacity for you, some, some, but it doesn't lead you anywhere good. Only God's word. The key is to take your mind off your pain and your problems and turn to the Lord again and again and again, anytime you need it. He says, come to me with anything. Nothing is too small for the Lord to hear and deal with for you. Nothing. All right, so take, off, take your mind off your pain and off your problems and turn to the Lord. At this point, you may be saying, why is this a Thanksgiving message? And I understand you might say that. I'm going to, believe me, I'm going to get to Thanksgiving. But first, we've got to deal with things as they are in our lives and understand how to have victory over them through God's word. Because it's awfully hard to be grateful when you're preoccupied with your problems. And that's a compassionate thing, too. You know, a lot of times, you know, I, I, I was guilty of this myself. I would get up and preach on Thanksgiving, and I would tell everybody that, you know what, you, you are not grateful enough. You have to be more grateful. As if, as if it's a switch you turn on, you know. It's not a switch you turn on. It's a switch God's word. And the more of it that you have in dwelling, and the more that you've lived accordingly, and you've lived the grateful life every day, the more grateful you become. So it's not, it's just like everything else. You know, there's law and there's grace. Well, what, where are we now with God? Are we under law? No, we're under grace. And therefore, we should all treat our brothers and sisters graciously. And that's why we can't be Using the law. Oh, snap out of it. You know, I used to hate that when people would say that when I was going through things. As if it was so simple as looking in the mirror and going, mirror, mirror, in the wall. I have no problems at all. Doesn't work. I can't snap out of that. No, but I can take my mind off my pain and off my problems and just turn to the Lord and tell Him, you know, this is too much for me. Gosh, it really is. Paul had to say the same thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. It's too much for me. God can give you more than you can handle. Trust me. He will. Why? Because he's mean and he wants to see you hurting. No, you know what he wants? He wants you to go to where you can get help. Him. He's carrying our burdens. And guess who else can carry our burdens? The rest of the body. The rest of the body can carry our burdens too, right? Bear one another's burdens, we read in Galatians 6. And when you do that, here's the great part. When you turn to the Lord in the midst of the, of the fiery furnace or the lion's dens of life, you'll watch the power of God at work in you to set your mind on better things. You'll watch as the power of God will be at work to set your mind on better things. Just like Daniel. He knew that the petition in the statute said he was headed for the lion's den. But he also knew the God that he served. And all he did was petition him and thank him 
Think about it. Imagine that. Imagine in the morning you're going to wake up and be thrown into a den of lions. And you're, the night before, you're thanking God. You say, how can he do that? Because he knows who the living God is, just like Abraham. When the Lord said, Abraham, I want you to go and sacrifice your only son to me. Well, did Abraham run away and complain and curse God? He wanted to. As a matter of fact, a younger Abram, Abram, because that's who he was before he became Abraham, would have done exactly that. We know that because when he was in Egypt and he feared that the, um, that the king would kill him so he could get his wife, Sarai, what did he do? He, 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 yeah, he said, go. He said, this is, my wa- this is my wife. No, he said, this is my sister. I'm sorry. And he said, here, have him. Why? Because I'll avoid suffering and I'll just give you my wife and tell you it's my sister. So don't, you know, don't feel bad if you're still in that place at times. And it's not the right place. See, Abraham knew something later in life when he obeyed and he brought his son Isaac up, up, up onto the top of, of Mount Moriah. And, he, and, and the son carried the wood that he was going to be burned with. Think about it. And yet he did that. He had so much faith. He even thought to himself, you know what? Even if I do sacrifice and my son dies, I know the God I serve. He lives forever. And he, because of his promise that, that through Isaac, the nation will be blessed, he'll just resurrect him from the dead. Can you imagine having that faith? That's a tough one. But he had it. And so that's the point. When you turn to the Lord, good things happen. And then you can think about the better things. That's the key. Think about all your earthly blessings. That God has provided everything that you need. You know how I know he's provided everything you need? Because you're here today, and you're smiling, and you have clothes on, and you're alive. Right? You're alive. I don't, I don't see any people that look emaciated. Now, I know there are people in the world, please don't understand me. Misunderstand me. God has his reasons for how that works, but just think about how much he's blessed you. Because you want to know something? They're doing the same thing. And you know what they're doing? They are, they are not even concentrating on the fact that they don't have food. They have a lousy job, if any. The government persecutes them. The other Muslims persecute them or whoever. They, in the face of all of that, though, they can see clearly what we sometimes have a hard time seeing because we're preoccupied with our stuff. They can see the power of God at work you know, preserving them, keeping them, keeping their happiness, having a place they can go to worship, and then look at the things God has done for them, which are so much better and more powerful than any of the earthly blessings, though we should give thanks for those earthly blessings. Please turn to Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1. Let's see what God has done and give thanks for it. Second Peter Chapter 1, verse 1. 2 Peter 1.1. 1, 1. This is just an aside, but man, I would really wish that the Pope would stop going through all these political humbo-jumbo and saving the world and cleaning things up and want to be powerful by you know, kissing up to all the other religions. I would just hope that he could just read First and Second Peter. After all, he claims to be the descendant of Peter. Why don't he just read it? All right, that's an aside. Never mind. 2 Peter 1.1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received the faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. He's already putting us in the right frame of mind. 
putting himself in the right frame of mind, being thankful that he was called to be an apostle, being thankful that he received the faith, the truth of God's word, being thankful that his God is righteous and powerful and that he's given us a Savior, Jesus Christ. And then he says, in verse 2, grace and peace be multiplied to you. And you see, that's something that anybody can have. You know, you could be being persecuted in Pakistan, but still have grace and peace. See God being gracious in your life. Having the peace that surpasses understanding. And he said, be multiplied to you. How, though? How? Well, by you giving a good, make, giving, making yourself living. Woo, you, I feel like one of the presidential candidates. By you living the life that you were called to live. Right? And that's how grace and peace are multiplied. Right? Not, not trying to do it yourself but just realizing you're a child of the king. It's multiplied in you how, though? In the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. That's where the grace and peace lie. And this is real. The peace for your souls, for your hearts, lies in Christ. All the graces, you're graced out because Christ died and rose again, and you're in him, and his Father has infinite love for all of us, but especially for his Son. He's really doing it for his Son because we're the body of Christ. But we should be understanding that grace will be pouring through our lives. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. See how important knowledge is? And Jesus our Lord. Notice verse 3. Seeing, seeing. See, this is the thing. You know, when we're preoccupied with our problems and our difficulties and pain and other people we can't stand and, oh, I wish my job was better. I wish I had a bigger house and all of that. We're not seeing what needs to be seen, Right? Seeing that what his divine power has granted to us everything. What is his divine power granted to us? Everything. Everything. See, a person like that can rest and have time to be thinking about the things he's grateful for. He has given us, granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. In other words, everything we need now while we're still on this earth. And then everything that will build us up in Christ. So that we are made, once again, and transformed in the image and likeness of the Son of God. He's given us everything. How, though? How is he doing it? Is he waiting until, you know what, you did a good job at work? I'm going to do that for you? Is he, is he, no, he's, this is through the true knowledge, right, of him. Think of it. In other words, the most important things that he's given us are the things that allow us to have a true understanding of God. Right? That's what he wants. That's what he wants in his sons and, in his sons and daughters. He want us, wants us to know who he is and then love him because of who he is. You see, That's where we find everything pertaining to life and spiritual growth. Through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. We may not see it. We may see things. And we have so many things in our lives that when we see them, we think things are bleak. Turn on the television. Re- read a newspaper. By the way, does anybody do that anymore? I don't even know. Turn on your cell phone. You know, Spend more than five minutes in Facebook. You'll be sucked into a world, man, real fast. Real fast. But that's not what we're supposed to do, you see. As, and as great as our earthly blessings are, and because they're tangible and we can see them, you know, that's where we should start when we're giving thanks. You know, first the natural, then the spiritual. 
It's okay. It's, it's good to thank God for the blessings that he's brought in your life this year. And he has. I know he has because he's granted you everything pertaining to life and spiritual growth. And as great as our earthly blessings are, they cannot compare to our spiritual ones. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Ephesians 1, verse 3. And I hope as we're going through these passages, you're finding the gratitude building up and being multiplied in your heart. This is the way to do it. Not to ignore what, what you're going through, and not to ignore it in the sense of saying, oh, you know what, it's not there. It's there. You can't, you can't deny it. But you can understand the deliverance. And then it, then it brings you on to looking at these wonderful things that God has done for us. Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God, our God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who might bless us with, with some spiritual blessings if we're good. No. See, but, I, but, you know, that's what religion will teach you. That's how it will put you in bondage, never enjoying the blessings, okay? Because the focus is supposed to be all on you, all on your performance, all on how much you give, all of that, rather than just realizing you're the son of God, you're a child of God, an adopted son. And because of that, he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Where? In the heavenly places, in Christ, where we are, where we go for everything, where we, we look into Jesus Christ and we set our minds on the things of his. Just as he chose us in him, listen to this one, before the foundation of the world. That, that one statement, man, that relaxes me. You wouldn't know how much. You, you do know how much if, if you've looked at this and thought about it. He chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world. You know, we think that he, he chose us when we believed and so forth. No, he chose you from the foundation of the world. That's how secure your relationship with God has always been and always will be. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. And in love, he predestined us to what? Adoption as sons, sons of the living God through Jesus Christ. Everything goes through Jesus Christ. He's the source of our blessings because of who he is and what he's done. According to the kind intention of God's will. What, what, what is his will toward us? Kind, that's right. All of his intentions, all of his plans for us are kind. And he said, to the praise of the glory of his grace. You see, that's where we, that's how we focus our minds and our hearts. Praise him. Glorify him. Understanding that his grace has done everything for us. For us, not because of anything about us. Which he freely bestowed on us where? In the beloved, in Christ. That's where all our blessings are whether they be earthly or or heavenly. And in Christ, we have redemption through his blood. We have it. He has redeemed us through the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. His death on the cross did it. What did it do? Forgave us all of our sins. Forgave us all of our trespasses. Can you see how this again breaks off any concentration that you think you ought to do about your past? So many people are telling you, you know, go back and repent of all the bad things that you did. Go back again and again and relive all those things. Oh boy, if you want to know the quickest way to turn away from the things of God, do that. Do that. No, don't do that. He's freely bestowed us all these blessings. We have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses. Your sins have been forgiven. Don't dwell on them. 
Don't think, oh boy, that's going to have consequences tomorrow. God's still mad at me. And I know, you know, what comes around goes around. I've heard that. I've been hearing about calmer a lot. You know, bull. If I was in another company, I might say it a little way. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his what? Grace. And listen to this part. He has lavished his grace on us. In other words, we ought to be so confident that he's pouring out his grace, that we stand under the fountain of his grace. Only good things. He's for us, not against us. You know what happens? We see then. <laughs> we see. We don't just see our problems or the things that bother us or the people that drive us crazy or what we don't have. We don't see that anymore. Through the spiritual eyes, we see that God has lavished us with his grace and will always do that. And then we see what we didn't see before. You know, sometimes I go out at night and I'm preoccupied with things, you know. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm in prayer and all of a sudden I'm looking around. And I'm saying to myself, man, I live in a country that's strong and at peace. I have freedom in this country. And then I do even simpler things. Like I look at the birds and hear them in the trees. I look at the sky. See, you can look somewhere else, you know. I go to my Bible. I go to the 50 things and I read them. You see, and that's where you set your eyes And you see that he's graced you out. Set your mind on these things, these heavenly things that God has given us. That's the secret to living the grateful life. Please turn to Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. The key to always being grateful is always rejoicing. Yeah. Stupid illustration I use every year. The who's in Whoville. You know, I love, it's a great picture of what we're talking about today. No roast beast, no trees, no lights, no gifts, and they're praising God. Why? Because you can do that no matter what. And it'll help when you're rejoicing, no matter what you're going through. You're putting your eyes in the right place. Your heart's in the right place. You see things you wouldn't otherwise see. Rejoice, Philippians 4.4. In the Lord always, even in the lion's den, even in the fiery furnace. Again, I will say rejoice and let your gentle spirit, not your murmuring, not your complaining, not your anger, but your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. What should we worry about today? Nothing. That the turkey may be two pounds too small. Should we worry about that? Believe me, here's the problem. When you stop having your eyes on the things of God and his word, man, there's a million things to worry about. You can manufacture most of them. You know, it might be fun just one time to write down all the things you worry about in a week. Every darn one of them. And then a week from then, just look at the list. You know, most of the time you'll find out that none of it happened. And we made ourselves miserable, and we couldn't rejoice in the Lord always. No, he says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything. When? How? What? Everything. By prayer and supplication. Talk to the Lord. Ask him for what you need. But something else. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. In other words, we can always do that. And when we rejoice in the Lord, we don't worry. When we give everything over in prayer, then we're grateful. He says, just let your request be made known to God. It's that simple. If you're in pain, let, let that be known to God. You know, if, if you think that your child is going in the wrong direction, let it be known to God. Right? 
That's what he says. He says, let your request be made known to God. Then what happens? The peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The God of peace. That peace surpasses all comprehension. It, the peace of God, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Guard against the distractions. Guard against being preoccupied with your troubles. Guard against you being miserable or angry or selfish. Guard, garrison your hearts and minds. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, okay, I want you to write that down and I want you to go looking for things that are true today. Whatever is honorable, everything we get in the media is dishonorable. Just about everything, except the sports page. Don't, don't, sit, don't put your mind on the dishonorable, but the honorable. Don't be complaining about what's wrong, but put your mind on what's right. Whatever is pure, it doesn't have to be you, because if we had to think we have to be pure before we can look at what's pure, we would never find anything pure. Amen? Oh, no, not me. Oh, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, and there is, there totally is, there's a God who has provided everything for you, for your, for your existence here on earth, and everything that you need in your heart. And that's praiseworthy. What are we supposed to do? Dwell on these things. Yes. That's the power, to be grateful. That's how you live the grateful life. Notice that, though. Please understand, this is very practical. Okay? Find the things that are noble. Seek them out. Seek out what's right, what's true, what's praiseworthy, and just dwell on them for a while. And notice the things you have learned and received, the truth, and heard, and then seen in me. In other words, Paul said, I was the worst sinner who ever lived, and yet I learned things from the Lord. He's given me great mystery teachings that have never been released to the world before. I've heard the word of God again and again. And now look, my life has been transformed. I am, not me, but Paul. I'm an example now. He says, listen, practice the things that you've learned. Practice the things that you've received. Practice the things that you've heard and seen in other believers. And then the God of peace will be with you. And you will have Christ's mind. You will have what we read about in Philippians chapter 2. Don't go there in the interest of time. You can write it down that we will do nothing from selfishness. We will be humble. We will regard one another as more important than ourselves. We'll no longer merely look out for our own interests. You know, every day, all day long, you're thinking about, oh, I got to do, I got to take care of myself in this way. And I can't, I don't have time for anybody else now, really. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. And have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, the mind that puts the needs of others before his own needs. And this is the greatest joy. When you lay down your life for the brethren, it's the greatest joy. It really is. We realize that, you know what, when I look at someone else and they need what I have and I give some to them, I lay down my life in terms of time. It doesn't mean you have to die. Some people do. But just even a little part of your life. Even like a half hour to listen to somebody. Or if, you have, if God has blessed you financially, give some of it away. That's what it means to lay down our lives. Why? Because when we see a brother in need, 
We take our mind off our pain and attend to his needs instead. And it works. Why? Because that's what makes you rejoice. <laughs> Helping out somebody else. And then you're preoccupied with that. Oh, you need, oh, you need groceries? What do you need? And you've got to make a list. And you've got to get in your car. And then you've got to go to the grocery store. And then you're going to realize, hey, I'm not in pain right now. And then you get what th- that they need. And then you have the trip back. And then you provide them what they need. And you see their smiles and their fellowship and all of that. You know, I simply remember my favorite things. And then I don't feel so bad. You quickly realize that our problems aren't so bad. So if you're feeling trapped by circumstances today, visit a man in prison. If you wish you had a better house, visit a homeless person. Because trust me, he considers your home the answer to his most urgent prayer. If you're tired of your lousy job, go visit an unemployed man who can't provide for his family. I want to read to you a few prayer requests from people who are homeless and are fed every Thursday by the ministry Love in Action. These are real people with real prayers. Listen to some of these. Roseanne is praying for a normal life. She has a desperate need for a vehicle due to the toll that is taken on her health and safety. Another one prays, prays for a place to sleep tonight. Another one prays to get off the streets. Kenyon says, pray for me and my family and my health as well as to find our own place to stay. And please pray for the other sick people and their health. Pray that I find a, gob, gob, a job with good hours. And another part-time job. It's to remove all the bed lice where I stay. And keep, keep my family in your prayers. Katrina, I pray for my relationship with my soon-to-be husband, Daryl. I love him dearly. I pray that God helps us with, to understand one another. Help us to grow together and be strong and go forward with our marriage. And get off the streets. Get a home. Get married. Get our kids out of custody. And baptized. Amen. For Jim, please pray for my children. Alexandra and Paige, and for my recovery, and my sister Carol, and please get me a bed at HAC as soon as possible. Ken D., I will never give up. I, I have a place to stay next week because God is good. Pat wants us to pray for the unbelievers in the world so they won't go to hell. And Charles, one week, prayed that the Lord would lead him to his employment dream. He writes, I am so close, but I need your guidance. And then Charles says this, Lord, thanks for today's meal and tomorrow's interview for the job I need desperately. So we spent a few minutes in a place with people who desperately need things that we take for granted. And now I hope we can say to ourselves, wow, I really have been blessed. When you murmur about how much things cost, just go to the cross. Look at the price that was paid for your salvation and give thanks to God for that indescribable gift. Give a hurting brother or sister some time and attention, compassion and kindness with generosity and with too much on that. With your love. That's that's it. Because when we're engaged in the thoughts and actions of love, we're not preoccupied with our problems or our pain. We forget about them. Because love never fails. Never. And when your heart and mind are at peace, now you have the time to count your blessings. That's living the grateful life. I'll read from Psalm 103 a little bit. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. 
Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Who pardons all of our iniquities. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit, the lion's den. Who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. Who satisfies your years with good things. So that your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. Slow to anger and abounding in grace. He won't always strive with us. He doesn't keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins. Amen? He hasn't rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness, his grace toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. That's Old Testament. Now it is those who are his sons and daughters. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Now, thinking about a Norman Rockwell painting, we can end with that. We didn't begin there. Yeah, he's praying too. Thank you, Jesus. Happy Thanksgiving. All right, let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for all of our blessings. We thank you for the fact that you've provided everything we need, everything we ever needed, anything we ever will need, and most graciously you've provided us with heavenly spiritual blessings in Christ. And we all, this morning, Father, we also want to make sure that we preach the gospel, that we're born sinners, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. You gave us your son, Jesus Christ. He died for us and for our sins. He was buried. And on the third day, you raised him from the dead so that whoever simply believes the good news of Jesus Christ will never perish but have eternal life. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. We have a prayer meeting every Thursday. And we take requests. You know, it's sort of like the singer in the lounge, right? What do, you want to, what do you want to pray for? What do you want us to pray for? We want to know. You can, you can, there's a box in the foyer and you can write down your prayers. You can, we have a, 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 on our website, there's a button you can push and you can type them in. That's for those of us who have terrible handwriting. But in some, you can tell somebody who you know is going to be there. It's Thursday night after our Bible study, which we will not be having this week. You probably figured that, right? Thanksgiving Day. So give us your prayer requests. And with that, the service is over. I want to just say, too, that um, a lot of times people have questions about the Bible, maybe the message today or the gospel. So I invite you to speak with me. People do it all the time. I'll be here. I'll have my Bible in my hand, my sword. Feel free to come up and ask. All right, let's close once more time. One more time. Father, we also thank you for the gift of prayer and the gift of one another. And we ask today, Father, that we would have what we've learned today written on our hearts, that we would seek out others that are in need when we are focused on our own pain, and that we would find the things that are right and true and noble. Because we know that that's the things that come from you and your Son. And we ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.